0: Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner, right here on The Mark Steiner Show on WEAA, 88.9 FM, home of the big 4 birthday bash, taking place Saturday, January the 28th. More info at WEAA.org. And today is the first day of the 2017 Maryland Legislative Session, which means, of course, it's time for our annual Annapolis Summit, the 14th annual Annapolis Summit, brought to you by and sponsored by Stevenson University, Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, the Maryland State Education Association, Alexander and Cleaver, VPC, CEM, and our media broadcast partner, of course, WEAA. And here's our conversation with Senate President Mike Miller and House Speaker Michael Bush. So let me begin. It's great to see you both, by the way. Um, so we ended the last conversation with Governor Hogan talking about your relationship, Speaker Bush, with the governor. My relationship? Your relationship, yeah. <laughs> and so I... And he said that you have been invited there, been there 12 times, been invited numerous times, and that...
1: I've been there 12 times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to where?
0: Do I have that right? Six times. Six. Six. Oh, I'm six. sorry. Uh, Math? That's why I'm going to talk to a host and not a mathematician. Uh, six times.
1: Must have a different Mike Bush.
0: <laughs> so what... Let's do talk about that for a moment, though. I mean, there, there was all this brouhaha in the press... Um, you mentioned it in, a, in your interview, I think, uh, Mr. President, when, uh, when you said that, you know, our relationship is deteriorating, but he doesn't even have one with Speaker Bush. So I mean, what, what is when was the last time you actually sat down face-to-face and talked to Governor Larry Hogan? Uh,
1: sometime in the middle of last session.
0: So the last meeting you had with them was with whom then? Their staff?
1: Know yeah, with him and part of the staff was middle of the last session, and uh, didn't hear from him at end of the session. Uh, went through the summer, <coughs> haven't heard from him, and uh, you know, it's, you know, he has the right. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to meet, uh, but the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, he wants to talk about working on bipartisan common sense legislation. I'm just trying to figure out who he's working with.
0: So, uh, Sid, and, and Senator it was good to have you here. I mean, I, I, and you raised the issue in the, both in the piece that you wrote and, uh, um, and in the interview. I saw, and, and Senator Hogan was, I mean, excuse me, Governor Hogan was uh, very vociferous in saying that he's, the lines of communication were open, that his office is bipartisan, that he is bipartisan, uh, and that he doesn't understand what this, the, that is well, not-
1: let me just give you an example. Uh, last year, the Senate and the House passed a bill to uh, support funding of the Nice Bridge in Charles County, which was built during the Roosevelt administration. It certainly needs to be replaced. A great advocate for that was Senator Mac Middleton. Uh, we had, the, the, ability the, veto. the, we had the, the ability to override the veto. The Governor vetoed the bill. He had the ability to override the veto. Instead, he went down to Charles County, had a ribbon-cutting, and then sent his staff to tell Mac Middleton, Senator Middleton, that it was not allowed to speak at the press conference. Now, if that's a bipartisan act, you let me know. He
2: to- actually told him
1: to leave. The staff <laughs> told him to leave. So, it was
2: just, I mean, it was his district. It was his project. Uh, and, uh, you know, but, but at the same time, uh, you have to be able to forgive the faults of, uh, of others in politics. You've got to have a, just a bearing ground to, to put put little slights aside. Napoleon said you avoid the pinpricks that avoid uh, the cannon shots, and uh, that's what you have to try to avoid in politics, and the governor's never held public office before, not as a council member as a delegated. I mean, he's a business person, and so uh, he's never had to engage in back and forth before, uh, and, and so it's, it's still new to him, and uh, you know, some of us it comes easier. I'm the oldest of ten children. I worked in a grocery store from the time I was ten until I was 24, where the, the customer was always right, and uh, you have to reach out to people. And, uh, and I learned that also in politics, worked for both parties. And uh, you know, it's a skill. And uh, maybe he'll adapt and well, get better as he goes on.
0: I mean, as it gets into this kind of more specific issues, there seems to be, in some ways, a disconnect in reality. Whose reality is right. is there? You know well, what I'm saying? I mean, he, I, I, he,
1: He's not obligated to meet with any of us. Uh, but I think the idea when he starts to talk about working in a bipartisan way, uh, you have to actually sit down with people and understand what they'd like to see. I mean, look, I mean, the agenda for this year is a bill that he has put in called paid sick leave that we passed last year, paid sick leave. And... Uh, you know, the two pieces of legislation, though they have the same title, are quite a bit different. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's legislation. I think that he could have come to either Senator Miller or myself and said, look, how can we sit down and work to get to some common ground uh, as we uh, go forward? But, but he doesn't know
2: how to do that, honestly. It's not, I'm, it's not you know, it's like on his manufacturing bill. Uh, they put in, had a big... F-
0: tax breaks for manufacturers that move moving to poor Baltimore areas. Baltimore City. He was there for right. just
2: in challenged areas. It could be a very good bill. Uh, but legislature, legislators had it last year, and they found out that existing businesses were very upset with it. They said, why are you bringing uh, people into Baltimore City, giving them tax breaks when we're here? We've been doing the job for 50 years, et cetera. And so if he'd come to either the speaker, myself, or the sponsors, or and they'd said, look, this is the problem with the bill last year... We need to tweak it, make some changes, and um, introduce it again rather than uh, just putting it in and, and, and automatically starting with a, um, you know, the same problems that we had last year.
0: So let's get some little brass tax issues here before we turn it over to the audience and I want in and out of the audience here. And there's a lot of people there, so I'm trying to get to all your questions. Um, and we start with Brian Sears. I mean, course.
2: this is not a big but, deal, folks. I mean, husbands and wives have problems communicating. You know what I mean? I don't, what a, uh, mean. I, never,
0: I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Do you understand what he's saying? All I know is
1: Senator Miller shoots <laughs> watermelon melon, ice, but have to see
0: So the question of this transportation brouhaha between the governor and the legislature
2: right.
0: and the bill that was passed. The governor said a few minutes ago that um, his hands are tied because certain important projects, Montgomery County, Baltimore City, which will get nothing um, because it is impossible to score the projects to make them come to the front of the table, which means we're all going to go under. They're not going to, they're not going to take place. So um, I, I, and I think the public is really stymied about what you all are fighting about here.
2: You know, the bill is advisory only. I mean, the Sun editorial called, it, uh, called him Governor Whopper because of the size <coughs> of the fib he told about it. And he accused the Sun of putting out fake news. Okay, The bill is advisory only. Here is the problem. You got to understand what the problem is, Okay, We are in gridlock as a state. I pushed for 20 years to get the gas tax through to fund infrastructure, because we are in gridlock. Baltimore City has the largest commute time anywhere except in New York. Washington, DC has the largest amount of congestion anywhere except Los Angeles. Every road we're in gridlock. Each of you who drive lose two weeks of your life sitting in congested highways and what have you. Okay, so we need it done in terms of where the congestion is, economic development, quality of life. The governor wants to build roads to West Virginia. He wants to build roads to Delaware. That is the problem. He want, we want the taxpayer to see where the money is being spent. He really- says
0: 60% of the money is going to go to urban and suburban areas. The what? 60% of the money for transportation, he's saying, this a moment ago. And it ago. should,
2: because that's where the population is. He's saying that is. is where it's going. That's where the population is. That's where the gridlock is. But that's not where his votes are. His votes are on the eastern shore, western Maryland, the, the, the outer parts of the state. But so he wants to build these rural uh, lanes where we're stuck in traffic in the Baltimore metropolitan area and the Washington <laughs> metropolitan area. And he doesn't want the people to see where he's putting their hard-earned taxpayers' money.
0: But is it true that, that I think he said 60%, 65% of the money that he has in there for transportation goes to areas which would be Baltimore or D.C. Or suburbs and Baltimore? That's where the money's going, not rural that he is being bipartisan, and, but that his hands are tied because of the way he has to score them.
1: No, you know, that, that's, that's totally
2: nonsense. You know, a... He can put whatever oh, grade sorry. he wants on him. Mean, if you set the categories, he can give it a 1, or he can get it a 10, all the categories. So it's, it's just. But I'll give you an example. Population of the Maryland Association of Counties, when we had the bill, said, look, we don't want the word population there, so it might make a difference between the big counties and the small counties. So we said, okay, guess what, we took it out. So the bill doesn't have that word in it. So when the governor proposed regulations, even though it's not in the law, it's not in the bill, these people put the word population in just to try to, to screw up the bill. And uh, so it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's,
1: it's politics. It's unfair, it's po- but it's politics. Uh, Mr. Speaker? Here's part of the problem. I mean, the governor's overpromised on a lot of uh, transportation projects. Right. And in order to be able to perform them, you had to have a gas tax that was uh, rising. The the gas tax, you know, gas at a dollar ninety six for basically the last two years, does limited the amount of money to come in, limited his ability to do the, the projects that he needs. He's done a lot of cost shifting of uh, transportation projects to uh, the local subdivision, particularly in the DC area. He's asked Prince George's County to pay two hundred and fifty million dollars for the uh, interchange of greenbelt. And they took the capital city's Carter transit system out of the CTP, which means it's not even on the radar screen to be built, which is the most important project in Montgomery County to move people from one place to the other place. Uh, And in Baltimore City, gave $900 million back to the federal government that was set up to create a transit system in Baltimore. Now look, there is no viable transit system in Baltimore right now. And if you're going to move people uh, into the workplace, the only way they get back and forth is with a transit system. They don't have automobiles. Uh, they need a transit system. So, you know, it helps your employment rate, it helps you create jobs, <coughs> helps keep, you know, move people from uh, poverty into the workplace. And, you know, only thing this piece of legislation says is that the governor uh, has to take a look here find out what's the most effective and efficient way to use our transportation funds. If he doesn't want to follow it, he can go and put in any project that he wants.
0: So let me ask the the two last questions for this, and then I'm going to move to the budget and then open it to the audience. Okay. Um, There are a lot of people who assume that the reason this bill was passed in the first place was because of the Democrats' anger at a Republican governor who killed the red line. That this was kind of a vindictive move, to say, okay, you're going to kill that, then we're going to make you uh, have these scores and become more transparent. Because we don't like what you did. That, that's A and B is part of the problem that we do not we do not have in the state an overarching transportation plan, knowing what we want to do to get out of the gridlock we're in.
2: Well, that that could have been the reason it started in the house. The bill started in the house, but for whatever reason, uh, Republicans passed a very similar bill in Virginia. Republicans passed a very similar bill in North Carolina, and it was sort of it was modeled after that bill. It's a little bit different, but the the other answer is this: when when first I heard that there was any concern about the governor about this, I said to him, "Look, tell me what's wrong with the bill. Tell me what you don't like about it, and I'll fix it." You know, they haven't got back to me with a single word, single amendment, single. You know, they just want to keep uh, railing and use it for political posturing rather than moving the state forward.
1: Mr. Speaker. Look, I you know I don't disagree with Senator Miller there. Look, I mean, I don't think it came out strictly because of the red line. I can't, It came out because none of those projects were moving, and all the all the cost shifting that was taking place, and and uh, you couldn't get a straight answer out of Secretary Ron, uh, where uh, the transportation money was going.
2: But this week, this week, you know, he said these roads are being X'd out. But he was in he was in in uh, west Western Maryland dedicating a road, saying, we're going to build this road to West Virginia. I mean, I'm sure it's a very valid uh, road and very needy, but to say that the road will not be funded because of this bill and then to be there announcing that this is the road going. But he does want people in Montgomery County, Prince George's County, Charles, Howard, Baltimore City, Baltimore County, et cetera, where there is gridlock. I-95 is gridlock. It, around Arundel Mills, BWI, that's gridlock. They, they need, that needs to be addressed. You know, on Route 210, which is Indian Head Highway going up through the western corridor of Prince George's County, up until 10 years ago, we didn't have any hotels, no restaurants. Now we've got six hotels, including MGM, and 30 restaurants on that road. It needs relief, and it's not receiving it from this administration.
0: So, so we're talking about relief, but we're facing this de- budget deficit of $400 million, and in the outlying years, maybe a $1 billion. Um, so this is going to be some very tough calls to make here. And uh, you don't make the initial call, obviously, but you battle it out in the state legislature. He has to; the governor has to bring the budget forth, and then you have to see how you respond to that budget. Um, but so, and the, he and he wants mandates to be curtailed. So, I mean, so where do you begin this conversation with the governor about what to do with the? He foreign says
2: government? that it's his budget. He has more power in that budget than any governor in the United States. Uh, the Maryland uh, legislature, working on a commission, came up with this proposal in the early part of the last century. And it, so it's his budget. He starts it off. He, he, he demonstrates what his priorities are, by what he puts in the budget, and what, what he eliminates. Then we get crack
1: at it. Well, we, we can't add to the budget. Uh, we can't even shift money around the budget. Uh, the fact of the matter is it becomes the governor's budget. Now I asked to make up a deficit for this current fiscal year because the shortfall <coughs> was that that great. I mean, the projection was we were going to have $800 million, and that projection that comes out of the comptroller's office never appeared. Uh, so that had not taken place. And then you've got a projected shortfall into the future. The uh, fact of the matter is job growth has been very slow in the state of Maryland uh, compared to the rest of the region. And, uh, you know, we have the average worker has lost about a little less than $800 in wages over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, though we have 6 million uh, Marylanders and we're still the wealthiest state in the union, uh, we have 1.2 million, almost 20% of Marylanders, on public uh, assistance.
0: So I remember years ago when we, in one of our Annapolis summits, <clears throat> it could be 10 years ago, not that long, maybe 8 years ago, when the debate on the sales tax was vociferous, Governor O'Malley was, O'Malley was the governor. Right. You could, is part of the problem that, and I remember the conversations we had then about broadening the sales tax, and that was a big debate inside right. the state legislature. Is part of the problem we're facing with deficits the fact that we did not broaden the sales tax, that we didn't get enough, we're not getting enough revenue in to take care of what we knew? Look, we're all taxpayers here. I'm a taxpayer. I, don't like, I, mean, I like keeping money in my pocket like everybody else does. But is part of the problem that we did not broaden the sales tax to include places where the economy is actually growing? That might have put us in a position where we wouldn't be uh, in this deficit-facing place. Have
2: you ever tried to get a tax passed? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it, I mean, it is hard work. I mean, I, I mean, it's hard work. I, I had, I had a, a tax, a sales tax applied to people who do lawn care, and I, I pay an extravagant amount of money for my lawn care service. I mean, a huge amount of money. And uh, they just so, need a smaller lawn. I mean, I don't cut the grass. <laughs> I can tell you that. But, it was, it was, but. but, but uh, I, I, I had it passed, and man, one, one senator said, look, absolutely not. She keeps thinking of these little boys, the lawnmower, you know, $2. I'm not, we're not talking about people like that, but it's it's hard. We tried uh, computer repair service. Right. We got it passed, and we had to repeal it. It was just uh, uh, because of the frustrations, the anger about it. I mean, it's, it's really hard to get it done. I mean, uh, you know, I voted for this, the gas tax in 76, in the 80s, 92, and this one. Uh, this last night, but, but it's hard to do it. And uh, I, I always had Republican help previously, so when I got it done in um, 92, uh, both Republican leaders helped me and voted for it because they knew it was the right thing to do. And uh, this time, uh, neither the House or the Senate. Senate, because of the Republican primary, because no fee increase, no fare increase, no tax increase, uh, it's, hard, it's hard to do. You don't get any Republican votes, and so you've got to get some uh, courageous Democrats in challenged areas to vote for it.
1: Bush. Look, I, I agree with Senator Miller. Look, it's very tough to expand the sales tax. Look, in, in auto repair, which was worth about $100 million a year, uh, you pay a tax on the uh, oil filter or things of that nature, but you don't pay a tax on the service. And you couldn't even get that expanded. Uh, so you just, you know, went up a penny, which put us in line with all the other states around us at $0.06. Cents Part of the problem today is that internet sales uh, have hurt retail sales markets, so the retail sales markets don't produce uh, what they used to, and the uh, bricks and mortar stores, as you can see around the country, are starting
0: to go out of business. So, so then, so, so then, then, what? What are the things that do not happen in the state then, if we don't have the funds? You mean? Education's a, excuse me, education is a mandate. Right. Right? Uh, transportation is not a mandate, but the needs are deep. Uh, issues of public safety and more. So what get what what doesn't get funded? What what goes by the wayside?
2: Everything is going to get funded. It's just a question of of uh, what the government's priorities are. Uh, you know, I hope it doesn't hit higher education. Now I read in the paper today, you know, the speaker and I want to do something <clears throat> about freezing tuition in our community colleges where they're increasing the apprenticeship programs and things of that nature to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to go to college. And I, I read today where the governor is proposing a 2% cap on tuition at the University of Maryland system. I think it's well and good, but uh, I'm not sure how he does that and then still comes up with a $400 million uh, gap
1: that he's got to fill. Well, I mean, it's one thing to put a cap on it. It's another thing to, f- to fund it right. up to that cap. Well, you got if to you buy don't it fund down. it. You, 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 you can't yeah. hurt. You can't hurt. The,
2: you, got, you got to buy it down. You got to pay yeah. some money to allow the, the universities to. Yeah. If you're not going to
1: raise tuition, then somebody's got to help help them pay the expenses. Right. Most of the time, they find the vast majority of money in the Medicaid budget, which is over six billion dollars, and somewhat fungible. Uh, so that means they're going to cut reimbursements to physicians, to hospitals, things of that nature, uh, and shift some of that cost around. Uh, it becomes problematic when you, you lost your health secretary a few uh, weeks ago. Uh, now you, you have kind of a health department that uh, really needs some direction and guidance uh, if you're going to uh, accomplish these kind of things. And you don't know what impact the new administration is going to have in Washington on the health care system in the state of Maryland.
0: We're about to find out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Senate President Mike Miller and House Speaker Michael Bush. You're listening to the Annapolis Summit, the 14th Annual Annapolis Summit, from right down here in Annapolis at the Calvert House, that we do every year at this time. And I'm Mark Steiner, right here on your WEAA, 88.9 FM, home of the big 4-0 birthday bash, taking place Saturday, January 28th. More info at WEAA.org. We have to take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Senate President Mike Miller and House Speaker Michael Bush. This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to the Mark Steiner Show right here on WEAA, 88.9 FM, home of the Big 4 Birthday Bash, taking place Saturday, January the 28th. More information at WEAA.org. And today we're bringing you the 14th Annual Annapolis Summit, which you do every year on the first day of the Maryland Legislative Session, which is today. And the Annapolis Summit is sponsored by Stevenson University, the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, the Maryland State Education Association, Alexander and Cleaver, vpc inc and the cem our broadcast partner of course is weaa so let's go to the audience here brian sears our partner from the daily record you got the first question
3: good morning mr speaker mr president um mr speaker i wanted to ask you um yesterday you gave a speech to to democrats and uh, and advocates talking about um, your concerns about what would happen if the governor got reelected, redrawing um, the redistricting maps, and, and, and also kind of providing a, a, a call to action, I guess, for Democrats to, to remember the party that they worked for. And in part, you said uh, you can't be wearing a jersey with both colors on it. Um, can you tell me a little bit about who that was directed to, moderate Democrats or the Comptroller? And, and also, um, are, are you essentially saying that you're willing to forego working in a bipartisan fashion with the governor in an effort to make sure that he doesn't get reelected? Look, we're always open to working in a bipartisan
1: fashion uh, with uh, the opposite party have a very good Republican relationship with the minority leader of the House. But the fact of the matter is uh, we have a lot of people, and this was a Democratic rally, obviously, uh, that want to show up at the rallies uh, and then want to go back and every time there's a tough position to take or a tough stance to take, you can't find them. Uh, you know, there is... Uh, you know, a difference between both parties. Everybody has the ability to choose what party they want to run in. And you go to your constituents and you tell them that you're running as a Democrat or a Republican, they expect you to stand up for those values and those principles of that political party. They don't expect you to get elected and then run away from the political party. And my message was to those who want to straddle the line all the time. And. Uh, I stand by that message. Thank you. See,
2: I'm, I'm different. I, uh, you know, I really, I'm very different. I mean, it says, you know, there was a British uh, Prime Minister who said, to the, who said to one of his peers, he said, look, uh, uh, to help with your principles, stand with the party. Uh, I disagree with that 100%. Um, you know, I have 14 Republicans. They're wonderful people in my Senate. They're really wonderful people. The people put them there. They're good people. They're honest people. They're hardworking people. And it's our job to fashion uh, proposals to move the state forward. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have a different uh, um, different uh, complexion in the terms of the Senate, in terms of Democrats and Republicans, and people want to work together honestly and truly. So we're going to take the governor's proposals on opiates, on education, on the environment, and rather than put them in a trash can, we're going to say, look, how do we fashion these to move everybody forward? How to make the state forward? And, uh, and uh, I think that's what it takes, really. We've, I'm an older guy. I've been around a long time. And uh, that's the way it was before 1994, people working together. And I hope someday that uh, the country gets back to that.
1: Look, I, I played sports all my life. And when I was on the team, competed against other teams <laughs> that uh, I had friends on the other team. But when I was out there on the field, I was trying to make my team win. And, you know, I carry that with me. And I try to make uh, the members of our caucus believe that. Uh, you know, you can't be in and out all the time and put the other members of the team in jeopardy. I mean, you know, on on uh, Monday night, you didn't see the guy from Alabama run into the Clemson huddle. Uh,
0: that didn't take place. Uh, so. Once a coach, always a coach. Always a coach. (laughs) So, ma'am, go ahead.
4: Hi. Hi. Um, Hello. I'm Monica Brooks. I'm from the eastern shore of Maryland, and I'm here representing citizens in that area regarding CAFOs, industrial-sized concentrated animal feeding operations. Um, Our problem there is that we have these large CAFOs that are taking over our area and um, threatening our water source. Our water source for most of the people there there well, is well water. We have not been successful in getting our governor to listen to anything from us regarding this issue. So we're here to ask if you would help. We're trying to get legislation put in place for a moratorium on all no. CAFOs, the large-size animal feeding operations, which are encroaching upon neighborhoods. They were not in neighborhoods before, but now they're in neighborhoods predominantly African-American, <coughs> or poor communities. So I'm asking, my question is, would you be willing, if we can get some legislation put in place, we're, we're doing this as individuals, we're lay people, we're not professionals. If you see legislation coming forth to put a moratorium until we can get health studies put in place, would you be willing to support legislation to stop these things, these KFOs, from being placed in these neighborhoods and threatening our water source? They're putting them literally on top of our only Source of water, which is our paleo channel, the only source of water for our community. They're placing these manure tons of nitrates on top of them. But they said it's okay. So our local government is not helping us. Our governor is not helping us. I'm hoping that you'll help us.
1: Now this is in Salisbury. This
4: is in Salisbury, Maryland, Wicomico County.
1: Let me, let me just suggest this to you. First of all, you need an advocate in the General Assembly to uh, sponsor the legislation.
4: We just got
1: one. And you have a sponsor for the legislation it will go in front of environmental matters, it will go in front of uh, environment and health in the Senate. Uh, as they go through, they'll get all the information on what takes place now, what the problem is, how to resolve the problem. But it has to go through a legislative process. Mm-hmm. So as it goes through that legislative process, certainly the two of us will follow that closely and uh, see if there's a consensus within uh, the chamber of the House and the chamber of the Senate. Is this the uh, chicken farming operation?
4: It sub- is. Yeah. We have um, several large companies, Tyson, um, Mountaineer, and Purdue, predominantly, that are there in the area, which is fine, but it's becoming health-threatening um, as the farmers are encouraged to build much bigger if they want to maintain a contract. So it's not that they all want to, but if they want to keep uh, their contract, they have to go ginormous. So these places are huge, and they're not, it's not that they're just huge, but they're putting so many on a smaller parcel of land. Right. So they're concentrated in these little areas, and now they're in communities where the air is being, and there's no air monitoring, there's no water testing. We asked, just can we get water testing, air monitoring? They said no. It's not a problem. Don't so- worry about it.
0: I'm sorry, i am just interrupted Other people up here as well. And I've visited down there myself, to, and it's my not the usual like in the the area where a farmer has um, um, these houses. These are huge houses, close to where people live, mostly in black communities around Salisbury, and they're expanding out. That's, that is their dilemma, and no one, no one is hearing them. I think that's the problem. This is oh. not anti-Purdue or anti-Tyson. It's about their I don't lives. Know.
2: One, one of the problems, it's about uh, anti-farming on the eastern shore, which is the, one of the largest largest uh, uh, economic uh, development issues in, in, on the eastern shore. Whether people like it or not, agriculture still is the number one business in the state, number one. Okay, so uh, the chicken farming uh, operation was in, in, in operation long before a lot of people moved to these places on the eastern shore. And we've got to find a way to accommodate uh, their needs with the um, uh, with the neighbors, because we, if you shut down the chicken farming operation on the eastern shore, I mean, uh, it, would be, it would be devastating. They're not asking okay.
0: shut down, they're asking for monitoring and well, oversight. And-, and
2: Everybody should, people should monitor, there's no question about it. I mean, people should not, we've been involved with the manure process for the last ten years, but the, the, the well waters is something new that I've heard of, but we will certainly look into it, but again, you need an eastern shore advocate. There's three senators there, There's a a dozen members of the House of Delegates there, uh, Democrats and Republicans. And uh, you need somebody on the eastern shore to say, this is where we live, this is an an issue, and bring it to the attention of the General Assembly. Not somebody from Montgomery County. You need somebody from the eastern shore saying, this is an issue, state of Maryland, help us us address it.
5: Uh, Yes, hi, I'm Margaret Barnes, I'm also from uh, Salisbury, Maryland, and um you know, the right to farm does not mean the right to pollute and we are having big issues with uh uh and concerns about the uh nitrates in the water uh as well as the ammonia loads, uh hydrogen sulfide, particulate matter. Um and you know, you're talking about infrastructure with, with um with the roads. I mean I th- I think there's you know, half of the budget is supposed to be going to uh, build infrastructure on the eastern shore, you know which of course, you know is all the trucking. Um, this one KFO, um, which is literally across the street from the city of Salisbury, um, will be having three truckloads a day, that's a thousand trips um, um, a year, and times that by a hundred new. Uh, factory farms, that's a lot of exhaust, that's a, that's a lot of money, and a lot of that's, um, you know, these KFOs are heavily subsidized, um, and that's a big concern. I, um, my group, Moms Across America, um, we're a national group, and, and um, I'm part of the Maryland chapter. Um, we discovered there's no air monitors on the Lower Eastern Shore, not one. And when I was checking um, in the summertime to see if it was safe for my son, I looked at the map. Delaware was a solid red. Lower Eastern Shore, it was supposed to be fine. Well, that's because they were defaulting to Easton, which is very far away. We have no air monitors. And the delegates don't listen to us. Um, So my question is, you know, can we possibly get a moratorium, or could we possibly include agriculture in the Clean Air Act for Maryland? Because it should be. It's industrial now. So, thank you. Thank
0: you. And, and let me just let you all respond to this, but also, um, I, we do have to get to some of the areas, and so can't only have 23 minutes or so left, and can't spend the entire time on the Eastern Shore, but... Um, I think these are really important questions. So, um, and, and I'll go
1: back to the same thing. I mean, you know, you have to have an advocate you bring in front of the General Assembly, you identify your problem and see what the resolutions can be. But these have to be vetted in front of uh, the standing committees to deal uh, with the subject matter.
2: Yeah, yeah, cause you kind of have to kind of try to find a middle ground between the environmentalists and the people who are conducting the, uh, the farming operations. It's very difficult. The same advocates... Um, uh, sued this, you know, this one farm on the eastern shore, wound up in the federal courts, and um, it wound up that the state of Maryland had to uh, had, had to pay the farmer and the farming operation, and these good people had to pay the legal fees for bringing what the judge said was a frivolous lawsuit. I know you're serious, and it's a problem, and we will look at it very closely and monitor it, but again, it's, it's, it's been going on for 50 years. It'll continue going on because of the chicken farming operation it is the sole Basis, largely for agriculture <coughs> on the eastern shore.
5: The, the cancer rates in so, Macomaco County and Somerset County are some of the highest in the nation, as well as asthma, particularly children's asthma. And children are very affected um, uh, by you know by the particu- particulate matter. So we've got a we've got a health problem going down um, there. It's right, it's, so, it's ma- critical.
0: So I do have to get on to the next people here, and and I, I I think it's a huge issue. And I would say the people coming up to the audience. I know are not environmental activists, they are community people from Salisbury. you were right. asking this question, uh, and, and some of them who work in the industry. so so wait a minute, just wait. everybody wants to get up there. so go ahead
3: sure. Good morning. my name is Claire Fitch, and I work at the Johns Hopkins Center for Livable Future. What? Last year, there was a bill introduced that would have required poultry integrators uh, companies to pay for the removal of excess manure.
0: Um, from farms up. on the
3: eastern shore. You're going to have to speak shore. up. And,
0: and this really, we really have to move on to other areas. Sure. So please, I mean... I just uh, want to say,
3: a recent poll conducted by Greenberg Quinlan Rosner for the Center for a Livable Future found that uh, 80, 86% of all Maryland voters and 84% of eastern shore voters um, would favor such a proposal for the removal of excess manure from poultry farms on the eastern shore. Do you think that these new opinion research findings might help create a different outcome if a similar bill on waste removal is proposed this year?
6: No. No?
2: I mean, I'm, I consider myself an environmentalist. But also, our job is to uh, 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 provide jobs for people, whether you're in the Eastern Shore, Western Maryland, what have you. And uh, un- unfortunately for your interest, the, the chicken farming industry provides a lot of jobs uh, in Eastern Shore. It's a large but part Eastern of Shore voters bases. are actually
3: in support of this proposal. Eighty-four percent of Eastern Shore voters are I in mean,
2: support. I mean, 70 percent of the people want to ban fracking. Is it the right thing to do? No. Is it the right thing to do? No. Okay. No. So it, it, I mean, I mean so what, know, well, read the Washington Post editorial page today. You've you got to understand things. You've got to study them and understand them. You know, it's, I know it's difficult for some people because they, they have their own biases and prejudices without understanding it. They just know, hey, it sounds good. Let's ban fracking. It affects two counties where there are no jobs whatsoever, and it's an industry and If you can make it clean and make certain that there's no uh, affecting adverse affecting the groundwater uh, and, and monitor it we 're not going to do it any time within the next five or ten years, but at some point in time, you might need that clean uh, source of fuel uh, it's clean it 's not coal it's inexpensive, and uh, we might need it so you don't, you don't ban it, but you put a moratorium on it. And to, to a, for a future time, we'll make certain that the regulations can be put in place to make certain there's no adverse effect.
0: So does that mean the moratorium will, they'll, uh, speak you, will there be a moratorium this year or a banning this year? There'll
2: be a ban coming from the House, and the Senate will look at it very closely and probably wind up with a moratorium.
0: Ben?
4: Good morning. Morning. My name is Betty Weller. I'm with the Maryland State Education Association. From 2009 to 2013, Maryland ranked number one in public pre-K education, according to Education Week. Now we're at number five. What do you think it's going to take to get us back to number one?
2: Well, what the reason that we're number one in all categories, all categories, except what they said was there was a difference between higher-income uh, uh, students and, and lower-income students where they come to in, in terms of the, 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 the grades, the performance. So we you know, in foreign countries, our competing countries, or can, I say Canada, et cetera, China, et cetera, they focus the best teachers on those students who deserve the most, who need the most attention. We don't do that here in the United States. But uh, there, there are ways, we're, we're looking at the Kerwin Commission to come up with ways to improve education. But like I say, it's, it's, we've been number one for years and years, and we want to continue to be number one because we're the wealthiest state in the union. Everybody understand that? We have more millionaires in our state than any other state per capita than any other state. We have more college graduates in our state than any other state. And we have a great uh, source of jobs because the nation's capital, the capital of the free world, was carved from our state in 1790. It's a great state, AAA bond rating, and we need to do a better job educating our students. But uh,
1: we're in the top five. We, sh- we need to get back to number one.
4: We agree. Thank you. The,
1: uh, look. I think the most important thing we have in the state of Maryland is our education workforce. And I think that, uh, you know, we have to get back to the basics. I think we had too much testing uh, in the state of Maryland. My daughters just got out of high school, both of them. Uh, they were t- they were preparing for tests all the time rather than preparing for the subject matter. Teachers had to do the same thing. Uh, I think you have to get back to the basics. of. Of educating people, and I think you have to get back to the fact that uh, many of these uh, local school boards and and uh, conservative governments today uh, don 't want to put the funds in locally, put the bare minimum in, uh, and as a result, uh, we have not uh, drawn the best and the brightest as we have done in the past, so I think there 's a lot of things that uh, have taken place uh, to cause this and you know, I will I will say it was stunning to see that the Board of Public Works decided to make policy for the State Board of Education when they determined what uh, day you would start school and what day you would end school, rather than what local school boards and subdivisions do
0: those things. Sir, and speak up when you at the mic, please.
3: Good morning. My name is Paul Geller. I'm president of the Montgomery County Council of PTAs and a board member of Maryland PTA. Senator Miller, I need your help desperately. I've had people laugh at me because I keep requesting that we revisit casino gambling table game revenues in this state. (coughs) Right now the casinos keep 80% and the education trust fund only receives 20%. To a lot of people, as a matter of fact, almost everyone I've ever talked to, they feel this is an unfair deal. What can we do to change that percentage so it's more in line with the video lottery terminal revenue.
2: Well, you're not going to because, um, you know, for example, we have a 40% tax in Maryland, 40% tax on casinos in Maryland. Uh, Steve Wynn, who's a friend of mine who lived in Prince George's County before he built the Mirage and Treasure Island and stuff like that, he pays 8% in Las Las Vegas, 8% tax in Las Vegas. And so we have the highest tax anywhere in the United States. We we put more money into Gamblers Anonymous uh, than any state in the United States. Um, so, uh, you know, everybody would like a little bit more share of that. Everybody would like more shares. Take the money from horse racing, put it in education, what have you. Um, we're, these industries are paying a very, very, very high tax. And, and so, so when we go back to Steve Wynn, he wanted to put uh, another casino in Maryland. He wanted to bring a casino in Maryland. He says, I can't pay that tax because if I pay that tax, people in McCall, people in Las Vegas, people in Florida are going to say, you have to pay that tax in, Mar- in, in our states, too. So it's, 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 it's very competitive. The industry is very competitive. We're very fortunate to have what we have. Uh, we're benefiting from it. We're putting the money in education. But uh, uh, we're not going to be able to increase the rates. They've only been in place for a couple of years, and we're not going to be able to increase at this point in time. Now that people have made these billion-dollar investments and are here, and we say, well, we're going to raise the rates. No. In fact, there's going to be pressure from them and others because of the jobs they're creating to lower the rates. But we're not going to do
0: that either. Next. And speak up, please, into the mic.
4: Um, good morning. My name is Mark Monroe. I'm a representative for uh, Bar High School Early College. I'm in the ninth grade there. Um, I wanted to ask, Is um, does the General Assembly have any plans for the um, rest of the fiscal year into the next fiscal year to improve um, subsidized housing programs, such as Section 8? And if you do, um, uh, how would you go about improving them? What? Section
0: 8. Section 8. Housing. Ha- we expand
1: them. I'm talking about housing. Look, I, I think affordable housing is very important uh, in the state of Maryland, whether it's Section 8 or however you go about it. I think in Baltimore City, when we are going to do the demolition and we have the uh, Baltimore redevelopment, or known as Bernie, we've taken old communities uh, and interjected private funds with public funds to make housing affordable uh, to people to come back and renovate and revitalize uh, communities that were in disrepair. You have Remington in Baltimore City. uh, You have uh, Patterson Park. And now you have Baybrook, which is in Brooklyn Curtis Bay. So I think, uh, you know, housing and affordable housing is is very, very important. And uh, we look at different methodologies to do that. And uh, certainly different subdivisions do that. Uh, within the state of Maryland. But, uh, you know, we, we do not, at this time, I, I think, have a statewide uh, legislation.
0: There isn't statewide. I guess the, the part of it, like in places like Baltimore City, there are, as the research has shown, there's close to 98,000 families in the city of Baltimore alone right. that don't know whether they're going to pay their rent, food, clothing, transportation at the end of every month. Yes. And that's at the heart of this question, I think.
1: Yeah, I think that's, look, that's the the question that we have to answer down here in Annapolis. How do we help these people that want to go from, you know, into the workplace where they feel secure, uh, have a job that, or trade? That's why you need more uh, apprenticeship programs. That's why you need more community college uh, interaction. Uh, as we move people with the from the uh, Criminal Justice Act, from nonviolent crimes uh, into the workforce. You need these type of jobs. And they need to get out of the environment they were previously in.
0: Next question.
3: Um, hi. Good morning. My name is Annie Lester and I'm also a ninth grader at Bard High School Early College. Welcome. Um, Uh, My question was, uh, are you aware that the usage of conversion therapy on um, LGBT youth in the state of Maryland is legal? And if so, do you have um, any plans to overturn that law?
2: Um, I I didn't know it was legal, but uh, we don't have any plans to overturn the law.
0: Should the law be overturned? What is it? Conversion therapy is where people can uh, take somebody who is LGBTQ and force them into a therapy um, to uh, no, to but
2: th- forcing them, you can't force them, nobody can force them to do anything. Right. You
3: know. Okay, thank you.
6: Thank you. Sir? Hello, my name is uh, Paul Roberts, and I'm from Citizen Shale, which is in Western Maryland. All right, um, here comes another one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Good to, good to see you, Senator Miller. Uh, I just wanted to, to bring to your attention, I appreciate your comments earlier about the issue, so I won't belabor it too much, but I do, I do want to point out that uh, those of us in western Maryland who uh, want to see a ban on fracking believe, in fact, that fracking is anti-business. The one business that we really have going very well in western Maryland is a world-class tourism industry, and fracking will destroy the tourism industry there. That's our concern. The second point you made is that um, this is a Western Maryland issue. In fact, it is a statewide issue. There are shale plays over much of the state. And roughly three-fourths of Marylanders now live in a location where local elected officials have either banned fracking through local initiatives or support a ban at the state level. I just want to point that out to you. And the the third thing is, and this is most important, we have almost the same – unemployment rate as the, as the rest of the state of Maryland. Thank you.
2: See, the, the one point I want to make is that, uh, say, for example, Prince George's County bans it, okay? Baltimore City. There's, I mean, there's not going to be any drilling for at any time in the next 5,000 years in those two areas. Your local elected officials in Garrett and Allegheny have that same opportunity to ban it. And other words, you go to your local citizens, and we will let them preempt the state. We will say to you in Garrett County and Allegheny County, the people you elect, if you want to ban shale, fine. That preempts the state. It's banned in your, in your subdivision, as it is banned in Baltimore City, Prince George's County, and, and a half a dozen other things. So focus your attention on the election or or, uh, or defeat of those in public office in Garrett and Allegheny County, and we will, we will abide by whatever their decision is.
6: Well, I appreciate that comment. There, there is a viable shale play right underneath the ground we're on today, for instance. They've leased in the state of Virginia in that shale play. So if the price of natural gas goes back up, many of these other areas of the state will be drawn into the play.
2: Thank you.
0: So the, 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 the question you raised, I mean, I mean it, it's all – and you, I was thinking about the question earlier about the other issues on the eastern shore. It's difficult, you know, for people in localities to get these things done when the power of those industries stand up against them in ways that they cannot confront, which is why they turn to people like you and they say, legislature, I have a broader view of the entire state – uh, where well, they think that might not happen.
2: They had an ally in Martin O'Malley. I mean, a real ally in Martin O'Malley. And uh, he worked his entire ter- term to, to clean up the manure operation on the eastern shore. And we've made a great deal of progress. We've got it out of the waters. We've got it out of the creeks. We've got it in the streams. We prosecute people who are violating the Clean Air Act <laughs> over there. And uh, so we really have been working hard on that. At the same time, you can't cripple the industry. You can't, you can't say... Uh, this industry, which is the main industry on the Eastern Shore,
1: uh, we're going to put you out of
2: business.
0: And you thoughts Mike we go to the next
1: Look, I, I, I think that Maryland's worked very hard in alternative energies, wind energy, solar energy. Uh, I think uh, uh, the rate that we've asked uh, the electric companies to deliver uh, are in the 30s now of alternative energy uh, within their uh, transmission system i think we've we've worked very hard in that area. I think uh you I mean, know piggyback on what the uh, President of the Senate said i mean martin o'malley uh they formed a a coalition where they came up with a large piece of land down there where they could distribute uh the waste so it wouldn't pollute things and uh hopefully keep the industry uh in place, obviously. People who testify today don't don't think that's working. So. Sir. Yes, uh, good
7: morning, Speaker Bush and Senator Miller. My name is Doug Colbert. I'm a law professor at Maryland Law School, uh, and you've touched on so many important issues, and I just wanted to add one further issue, and it has to do with our justice system. Uh, last year, each of you provided the leadership that was needed uh, for the Justice Reinvestment Act, and you did some really terrific work there. Uh, There are other justice issues that still remain. The Justice Department, of course, has uh, uh, issued its report uh, calling for reform in the police department. Uh, Baltimore City. uh, In Baltimore City. uh, Attorney General Franch has called for reform in the uh, money bail system. And I just wonder, uh, might we count on your leadership in both of those areas in the upcoming session to address uh, the needs for reform that have been articulated? Well, we're going to
2: move forward. Uh, uh, it's very complicated, but just we, this, this justice reinvestment bill was that thick, that thick. I mean, it, it did so much in terms of, um, of um, improving our, our justice system. And when it passed, all 47 senators voted for it, Republicans and Democrats. And we're going to try to do the same thing with the issue you talked about in terms of indigency. And if you're indigent and they still set bail, then we're going to try to get a judge to look at it within 24 hours. But hopefully we're going to get the judges to make, through their arm, make an initial determination whether the person should be incarcerated or, or turned loose. At the same time, we want to make certain that no one who's not a threat to society, no one who is not a threat to flee the country is, in fact, uh, Set, set free without, without an
0: owner's bail. So, and, and Mr. Baker, so what, what about what, what, he, what the gentleman was just saying? What about the, uh, what Brian Frosch, our state's attorney general, was saying about bail reform? The well, first of animals? all, that's
1: in front of the Court of Appeals, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, they have not made a final decision, I think. Uh, so, but I'm more concerned about following through on the Criminal uh, Justice <clears throat> Investment Act, uh, because I think we have the long way to go there uh, you know, as we can identify places. We need to move people into the workforce. And right now, we we don't have that conduit in line to make sure the people that are coming out have jobs to be taken out of the environment they came from, which is basically uh, based around the, uh, the sale and use of drugs. We need to take them and put them in a, in a position to be uh, trained, self-sufficient, and take pride in the work- workplace and, and uh, be able to move forward with, you know, the House and uh,
0: other uh, necessities. So very quickly here, uh, as we wind down, well, the, the, there's, on January 20th, there'll be a new president of the United States.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: We have a governor who did, is a Republican who didn't support the man who's about to move into the White House. And we have a Democratic state, pretty much. Uh, and legislature. So how is that going to affect us? I mean, it, I mean, a lot of the jobs in Maryland are tied to the federal government. Right. Right? Right. Uh, Medicaid is the money and issues around that, and yes. Medicare. So how do you think that's going to affect what's going to happen here?
2: It's going to affect us horribly. Um, we have uh, 8% of our workforce is tied into the federal government. It, it, and so when you have a sequester and a shutdown, it affects us. And, you know, he's going to so-called drain the swamp. He's putting people in charge of his departments. For example, he's got a fellow named Truett, an Oklahoma attorney general. Uh, He's putting in charge of the environment who's been suing, suing, suing to try to lift the regulations that we have in place to clean up the Chesapeake Bay. Um, But uh, 8% of our workforce is dependent upon the federal government. But when you look at the salaries, 12% of our income for our, for our workforces based on the federal government. And so when they have that downturn, when they have that sequester affecting Fort Meade, Pax River, uh, you know, all these great places in Maryland we have jobs, it's going to affect our economy tremendously. But also, in terms of health care, the environment, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't watch the news, of Brian Sears, because I'm so upset at what I see <laughs> and what I read, you know, about this president. It's just unbelievable.
1: Look, the... Uh real concerns in many respects is what to do with uh, Medicaid funding. There's always talk of block grants. They talk about that all the time. Have a negative effect on uh, the hospital delivery system. Uh, It will put hospitals out of business. Some of the smaller ones will have a negative impact, particularly in rural areas of the state. Uh, Everybody talks about repealing the Affordable Care Act, but they don't know what they're going to replace it with. And you have 400,000 Marylanders that are enrolled uh, that you're going to take health care away from. So, where do they go? They go to the emergency room. Uh, they're serviced there because it's a federal mandate. And then uh, the cost of that is picked up uh, through your insurance premiums or for tax dollars. So, all of a sudden, you're going to see your insurance go up because there's so many people that are uninsured. Uh, so, I mean, look. You know, governing is a tough job. You know, there's a reason how, how you got there. You have building blocks. You just can't come in and tweet things away.
0: <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> our House Speaker, Michael Bush, our Senate thank President, you. Mike Miller, thank you both for being here.
1: Thank you for um, having
0: us. For the 14th Annual Annapolis Summit, uh, our partners at Daily Record. Uh, and I want to thank them for all the work we do together here. And we thank our sponsors, by the way, once again... Uh, Stevenson University, who's been with us from the very beginning, the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, the Rental State Education Association, Alexander and Cleaver, VPC Incorporated, and thank them, uh, Eli Eisenberg for the work they're doing in running and managing our show today. It means a great deal to us. And of course, our broadcasting media partner and the home of the Mark Steiner show, be EAA. We're going to take a short break, um, come back with the rest of the program on the radio, but thank you all for coming out here today uh, and thank both of you gentlemen for uh, spending the hour with us. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Mark. We have to take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we're going to hear the voices of audience members at the Annapolis Summit. We'll be talking with all kinds of folks, community members, advocates. So stay with us for the rest of this Annapolis Summit, wrapping up with the voices of the people themselves. We'll be right back.